and it's like her voice kind of echoed in my head for you know a few hours you know you're Polly I'm not you're Polly I'm not and it's like it's like oh my god I'm Polly Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We always strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy and positive approach to non-monogamy. However, everyone approaches this a little differently, and in its core, our show is about hearing and learning from different experiences and approaches people have. With that in mind, it's important to remember that the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily represent those of our own. It's also important to remember that we aren't doctors or therapists and that we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on this show. We should also let you know that this podcast will hopefully include some explicit language. So, if that kind of thing offends you, you should probably keep listening until it no longer does. If you're under 18, we'd suggest finding a different show or gather up your parents and listen as a family. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 32. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a exciting interview with Kat they're, and they're Flick. They're all exciting. I know, I always say that, but they're always exciting. Yeah, Kat and Flick from uh, the Wet Coast podcast, or on the Wet Coast podcast. Yeah, get it right. I got it right. <laughs> I always get it right. I got to say their name twice because of that. So, anyway, they come and join us. We have an awesome conversation. We talk about swinging. We talk about polyamory. We discuss mental health within the polyamory and swinging worlds and something we haven't really talked about. So um, we wanted to up front say thank you to them for taking the time to chat with us. And maybe we'll just take like 18 seconds to mention two things that we love as resources that we both use. The first is stdcheck.com. Use the links on our website. You get $10 off your testing panel, which is, the, in our opinion, the easiest way to get tested for STDs and STIs. Super easy, super, super the best, I think is how you say that. Okay, sure. <laughs> the other resource is Cassidy, the dating website for, well, you don't have to use it for dating, I guess. You can use it for meeting people for fucking or friends or whatever you want, I it's, guess. It's also super the best. Yeah. <laughs> super the best. Anyway, please use the links on our website if you're interested in giving it a, sh- a shot. You can get a free 30-day trial using that link, or if you leave us a review on any podcast platform, you can get a free 90-day trial. I think that's it. Let's yeah. go into this interview. Yeah, this is a short one. Yeah. We could good. just sit here in silence for like two or three no. minutes. No. Let's go. Thank, thank you both for joining us all the way from Exotic Canada. Is that correct? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It is right. So we've, yeah, the, we've wet, got, the wet coast is is uh, is Vancouver, Canada. Yeah, we've got yeah, Cat and Flick, who also have a podcast and are some New York Times bestselling authors, perhaps, or, or just. <laughs> well, hopefully, by the time this this uh, podcast comes out, it'll it'll be a New York Times bestselling. Excellent. Remember? Well, yes. for for anyone who's not familiar with you, do you mind sharing a little bit about? who each of you are and just a high level, maybe how, how you both identify and how you identify in terms of your relationship style. Sure. Yeah. Um, so my name is Kat Stark and, um, okay. Apparently that's all I got. That's, yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, thanks for tuning in this week. guys. <laughs> 
Okay, I'll go next. I'm Cat Stark. <laughs> <laughs> We're all Cat Stark. Yeah. Um, I I think I just kind of forgot what else I was supposed to say. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> okay. Um. So I am Cat Stark, and I am a blogger and podcaster and author of um, the memoir Yelling in Pasties, The Wet Coast Confessions of an Anxious Slut. Uh, As you can tell from that title, I definitely identify as someone with mental illness. I battle depression and anxiety, so that definitely can make my non-monogamy exciting. And I identify as non-monogamous, as polyamorous. I wouldn't say that we're... We're swingers, but we sometimes swing, or we're just like really bad swingers. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I often just refer open relationship. We we have been married for nearly twenty two years, but have been open for the past like three and a half. That sounds right. Okay, yeah. okay. it's a little fuzzy because you know. Yeah. When when are you open? Is it the you know the the day that you you know seal the deal with with somebody or is it you know when you make plans to you know and mm-hmm. like yeah, when you start the conversation yeah yeah, yeah like we've sure. we've talked to people who had theoretically been open for a year or more but hadn't actually found anybody to you know to um that they they wanted to um you know be open with yet so yeah um so yeah it's 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 like maybe you're open but you just aren't open at that particular moment yeah so, sure so how did those first conversations start for you two? Well, our, I, it, it started with um, going to see Dan Savage live and then having conversations after the show. Uh, one of the things that really resonated with both of us was, uh, was Dan saying, uh, you know, you, you spend a lot of time worrying about whether your partner is uh, attracted to other people when they want to fuck other people. And they do just like you do. And, uh, you know, and, and so that when you, when you acknowledge that you do and it, uh, and, um, you know, and realize that what you've been trying to, to kind of what, what you sort of the thing you've been fearing about your partner all along is, is certainly definitely true. Uh, it takes a lot of the kind of stress and pressure out of that. And so that kind of, open the door to talking about fantasies, you know, Hey, maybe we'll have sex at a sex club in front of people. Maybe we'll find somebody to have a threesome with. And, um, you know, and then yada, yada, yada. Next thing you know, we're polyamorous and, and, uh, you know, and have a girlfriend and pretty much the train has left the tracks. (laughs) (laughs) So you went, you went straight to the polyamory route. You didn't, didn't stop off at the swinger station for a little while. We definitely, we definitely started with swinging. Well, we started with a threesome with one of our friends. The classic thing you're not supposed to do is ask, you know, one of your single bisexual friends to have sex with you. Um, (laughs) But we did, and she was into it. So we had a threesome, and it was great. Well, it was, it was kind of weird, mostly because we did it in a hotel and then all spent the night together. And basically once the sexing was done, I was done and wanted to be by myself and just read a book and hide. And we all just had to hang out together. And so it, it was kind of awkward that way, but like all the sexing part was like amazing. 
Yeah, I think I think if you were in that situation now, you just haul out your Kindle and just, yeah, you know. and just be like, I'm going to be over here, possibly with a blanket over my head. Um, <laughs> it's a good thing they're backlit now. So. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then we, after that, we we're like, okay, we and we started listening to Life on the Swing Set and and a bunch of other podcasts. I started reading everything I could get my hands on, opening up the Ethical Slut, um, just all the books I could find. And we're like, Hey, let's try swinging. Maybe we're swingers and went on Cassidy and found a couple that was local. And they were like, do you want to come over tonight? And we were kind of like, uh, it's Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but we were willing to go the next night and ended up, you know, having a really good swinging experience with them. They were they were very experienced and, you know, really, were really good to us being like complete noobs and being nervous and not sure. Oh yeah. They were, they were really great, you know, super, super patient. And yeah. That's really, a wonderful like, first couple to meet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No drama at all. Like just really, really chill people. Yeah. And we, you know, we fooled around with them a few times and then like, you know, on OkCupid, met a few other couples and, and kind of tried it a few times and just didn't ever really find the right four-way spark. And so kind of decided that maybe we should date separately. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And so I, I started dating a friend that I had known for like 10 years and, um, and, you know, and, and I, I think you kind of inceptioned us like kind of Put the, I put the idea in our heads and, you know, and, and we're like, ah, oh, it's too, it's too bad that we're, you know, we're, we're not those kind of friends. And then later it's like, but could we be? And, um, you know, and so that, that was really nice. It was, it was really nice to have that, that kind of relationship and experience with someone that I just really trusted and had a, had a, a, a great relationship with already. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, and you, you started seeing, seeing a, a couple fellows as well and, you know, got to experience some heartbreak nice and early. Yeah. That was, that was really great. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what was the timeline roughly between when you first went to Dan Savage to where we're now on Cassidy to swinging's maybe not the right strategy. Maybe we'd be better off doing like some separate poly stuff. What did, I guess roughly the timeline, what did that look like? It was pretty quick. Yeah. It was, it was like a couple months between seeing Dan Savage and having those conversations and, uh, and, you know, having that threesome with our friend. And then it was maybe another month or six weeks before we were, we, you know, we, we had that first experience with, with another couple, you know, and we're driving home, like almost in shock. Like I, can't believe we did that. I can't believe this is a thing that we do now. And, <laughs> um, you know, then probably again, another few weeks after that, that, that we're, we're like, well, why don't we try seeing other people? You know, we kind of went through, uh, Tristan Termino's book, uh, opening up and, and went through the checklist that, that she has and, and kind of added our own sort of, you know, um, ideas to that and, and sort of drafted an idea of a relationship agreement. And, you know, and, and that was a really great starting point. What, what we kind of found though, is that over time, a lot of the ideas and the sort of the, the rules that, that we had just kind of didn't seem necessary as long as we were communicating well and just mm-hmm. talking about things. 
Right. And have you guys ever talked about anything like this in the 22 years, like, or I guess 19 years before this in your relationship? Well, fairly early on in our marriage, we were kind of open. Well, I guess we were open in that I was allowed to fool around because I'm bisexual and I didn't know that until we were together. Uh-huh. Uh, we got together very young. Like we met when we were 20, just about turning 21. So, you know, I hadn't had experiences. And so a few years into our marriage, we, we kind of set it up that I could have some experiences with women. And so okay. just a couple times over the next, like, five years or something, I had some experiences with friends of ours and then was kind of like, cool, I've done that. It's nice. Then, yeah, I guess we'll get back to regular programming. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and before, uh, before I met Kat, uh, I was kind of naturally polyamorous, but it, it, we didn't really have a, you know, language for that at that time. It, it you know, f- uh, for me, I just kind of felt like, you know, I was an asshole who could be in love with two women at once and it really complicated my life. And, uh, you know, and so for, for a couple of years, you know, I, I had a, a girlfriend and we had a friend and we, we basically kind of lived as a, as a triad, but we weren't having sex with the, with the third in our relationship, but we'd travel together. We'd sleep in the same bed. We'd cuddle. It was, so it was a very, it was a very romantic relationship, but you know, we just, because we didn't have tools or models for that kind of relationship, we, we were just kind of stuck about, you know, about some of the, the other steps that might be involved. So for me, knowing that I could be in love with other people kind of made me um, good at monogamy because if I got crushes, if I had attractions, be like, oh, those, you know, those are just feelings. It's just, you know, a thing that I have. And so it, it didn't sort of undermine my commitment to my relationship and, and, you know, my feelings about my relationship. And and that relationship, that sort of triad, that was before Kat, correct? Yeah, that's right. That was before I even met Kat. Oh, wow. So I was really young to... It be, was I quite mean, young, and, and and yeah, like we we didn't we didn't know the word polyamory. We didn't know about you know about those types of relationships at all. Yeah, right, right. So I think one thing that a lot of people in the swinging world, specifically, they're they don't have a problem with their partners doing the the sexual side of things, but for them, the the once it moves into the emotional realm, and that's where they start to feel that that's where the, the maybe the jealousy introduces itself. Did during those couple of weeks before you went full poly, I guess, I don't know if that's the, <laughs> did, it wasn't quite, but <laughs> was, was there a, was there any like jealousy or any issues that you had to work through or was it pretty smooth sailing and a pretty smooth transition? Uh, it's actually hard for me to imagine now, but in those early days, I had a lot of trouble whenever Kat had a new partner. I, I'd have a lot of jealousy and a lot of turmoil about it. You know, and, and one of the things that I, that I really learned is how how much that would diffuse as soon as we talked about it. When when I was trying to kind of you know keep those feelings to myself, when it, it's like okay, I just I just gotta kind of get through this. 
uh, it would it would really just kind of fester and make it worse. So so that was I would say that probably for the first year, that's a thing that I really struggled with whenever there was somebody new in your life. Yeah. And I, and I would say just to make it a little more clear that it was probably a bit over a year until we were ended up like in a more emotional polyamorous kind of situation for the, for the year after we were doing a lot of swinging, we ended up like dating separately, but dating really casually for the most okay. part, mm-hmm. I was just rolling around in as many young men as <laughs> <laughs> as uh, would come my way and really reveling in that uh, sensation of being the older woman. And I guess you dated a little more, more specifically a few different people. Yeah. But that, again, the, that, that dating was, it was mainly just, you know, um, a sexual friendship and yeah. it, it wasn't until close to close to a year since we started having those, you know, conversations about, you know, uh, having adventures where I, I started dating a, a vanilla girl mm. and, and, you know, and, and that was, that was really kind of the thing that, that started flipping the switch into, into quote, full poly. Went, right. and, <laughs> um, and, and it was that, it was while I was dating her that we went to desire the first time. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting a crush on somebody and, you know, and after a few days, you know, uh, kind of saying, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry about crushing on you so hard and, and making it weird. And, and she's, she said, oh, you, you, you haven't made it weird. It's just you're Polly and I'm not. And it's like her voice kind of echoed, in my head for, you know, a few hours, you know, you're Polly, I'm not, you're Polly, I'm not. And it's like, it's like, oh my God, I'm Polly. And, you know, and, uh, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of myself that way. And in fact, kind of had an aversion to identifying as Polly because of, you know, some of the, the kind of, uh, shitty, uh, associations that I had about, about what being Polly was and, you know, some of the kind of, um, you know, self-righteousness and, and sort of, uh, prescriptive, uh, polyamory that I'd seen, it had never occurred to me that, you know, poly could be whatever, uh, you know, I wanted it to be. Right. Mm. Sure. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a normal feeling too. You know, I had a question back a little bit about, it sounds like Kat, when, when you made the transition, one of the things you did, it sounds like was to find lots of different partners rather than a couple of select partners. Do you mind talking a little bit about that transition from roughly 20 years of, of monogamy to, it sounds like it was almost like a kind of set you free in a way. Oh, for sure. It, I think it, it helped me like grab a hold of my sexuality and just feel comfortable in it for the first time. you know, for the previous, you know, 20 years, you know, I had been so insecure and, you know, I couldn't have done non-monogamy in our twenties other than like me going in and having adventures. I wasn't okay with him going and having adventures because that felt really threatening to me at the time. And it wasn't until I was in my forties that I felt comfortable enough in myself to, to be good with that. And so just coming into my own sexuality, coming into feeling good about being a slut and that being like me being able to say like, I'm a slut and 
that felt right as opposed to shameful. Yeah. Right. That it really, it made such a difference for me. Yeah. You know, and I discovered fairly quickly that I was much more comfortable having, again, like sexual friendships, friends with benefits, fuck buddies, kind of, kind of thing that, you know, I had a few different people that I was seeing, but none of them all that regularly, but it was repeated rather than like just going on Tinder and being like, Hey, come over. Um, right. cause yeah, that I need more connection than that, but it, yeah, it just freed me up so much to, to embrace who I was and, and to start trying things and, and you just let go of a lot of those hangups that I'd had. I think that's amazing though, that, um, you, you resonated with the term slut because I think that term has a lot of, for a lot of people can be very negative. And, uh, I think it's amazing when people truly feel like, no, this is what I want to use to identify and be proud of it because it is empowering. And I think that is, uh, yeah, really cool to hear. Thanks. <laughs> well, it's, it's also a useful shorthand when when you're talking to somebody about, um, you know, about about your relationship style and to, you know, to tell them that you're a slut, because, you know, sometimes it's it's harder to, to, to kind of describe, well, you know, I, some, sometimes we travel to other, other cities. Sometimes we, you know, we have uh, sex with people. We have sometimes we have orgies and, you know, and, and so it's nice to just have that that one label and you know and often they're they're like like oh yeah i'm super slutty too and you know, so it's a it's a <laughs> fun thing to bond with. yeah yeah so the the fact that it sounds like you both had slightly different styles in terms of what you were looking for and how you were approaching it was that ever uh i think a lot of people would say well if we're going to do this, you know, if you're going to date somebody, I'm going to date somebody. If you're going to date two people, well, I need to date two people. Sort of that um, tit for tat mm-hmm. strategy. It sounds like you guys didn't really follow that model. Was that ever a source of either conflict or was it pretty natural and okay the whole time for you two? I don't know that it was that much conflict. I think sometimes, you know, you felt bad that it was so easy for me to find people. And I sometimes felt bad that you had these more intense connections. Um, and through this time, I also was developing a long-term or a long-term long distance relationship with someone, um, that I ended up very emotionally invested in, but I didn't really know it until we were at desire and like, said like you're totally in love with him and I'm like no I'm not and here's this big list of reasons why and I realized that listing all the flaws in our relationship yet feeling exactly the same I was like fuck I am in love with him (laughs) and so we we sort of had both had like individual kind of moments at that first trip of like figuring out that we were were different than we thought we might be. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when we started, I assumed that it would be casual sex. It would be like Tinder dates and, you know, and, and maybe see somebody a couple times and it turned out that I actually worked the exact opposite that, you know, I, I, I do tend tend to bond more long-term, even if it's just, you know, a, uh, a romantic friendship. And, And yeah, like a lot of my assumptions were very different. Uh, I think, I think it might've helped that you did start 
seeing people before I did. And I think that made it easier for me. I think it would have been really hard for me to, to, to be the first one to do that. Mm. Can you, do you mind talking a little bit about why that is? Um, I, boy, that's the, let me just, uh, uh, tear my heart open. Uh, uh, I, I actually have a, have a hard time even knowing what I want, let alone asking for it. And so, you know, my, my intuitions are always to try to anticipate and manage, you know, what my, what my partner wants. And so for me, if I had to kind of take that risk to be the one who's, uh, who's, you know, kind of stepping out onto the ice first and risking, uh, you know, creating challenging emotions in my partner, that, that would have been a really, a really tough place for me at that time. And, you know, the, uh, sort of coming from the monogamy hangover of if you do something that, that hurts your partner, it's your fault. Even if that thing was harmless and even if that thing was negotiated, it's, you know, it's your fault if there are feelings. Uh, and so I didn't, I didn't yet have the tools to kind of understand, well, sometimes your things you do are going to challenge your, your partner's feelings. And, uh, that doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. It just means that there's something to talk about and something to, to kind of process together. Yeah. You just described a lot of how I feel a lot of times <laughs> as well. So that as far as like trying to identify what I want and how to go about making that happen. And it's caused a lot of, um, I guess, more conversations in our relationship too of, uh, because Finn wants to know and just wants me to tell him. And sometimes I can't, um, sometimes. <laughs> and it's hard. <laughs> Yeah. But we, we've really discovered that, you know, talking about it is pretty much the solution to everything, or at least gets us toward the solution. Because so much of the time, you know, it's those secret festering pieces that lead to the jealousy or the resentment or the pain that when you acknowledge them and start talking about it, it just frees you up and you realize like, Oh, I'm not a monster for feeling this. And yeah, you can then work through it together. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so sometimes uh, there's, there's the thought, well, there's no point in, in sharing this because we can't fix this. The, you know, uh, what, what can we, you know, what are we actually going to going to say that is going to going to fix this? This is just feelings that I need to get over. But the reality is that, that sharing those feelings and seeing that uh, that the world isn't going to end because you f- that you feel this way, it takes so much of the stress off. Though a lot of the a lot of the pain of those feelings is feeling like they're wrong and feeling mm-hmm. like you need to they, you need to keep them secret because the the sharing of them will you know will will create distance or damage in some way. When the reality is the opposite, sharing them gives your your partner a great opportunity to show compassion and also share that the, the experiences that they have, that they, they might've had those same feelings. Right. Yeah. Did, did you two always have strong communication skills within your relationship or was it something that you had to develop once you decided to go down this path? I think we actually had terrible communication skills and were just lucky enough to just be very compatible. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't think we were particularly good communicators. Not about anything difficult, anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, we've always been incredibly kind to one another. Yeah. And I think that that helped us get through times that were the most difficult in our marriage. And we, like, I don't think we communicated well in a lot of those instances, but just the kindness that we have always treated each other with really just made the difference through a lot of that. Yeah. I think it's, it's really incredible too, that you were able to make this shift in maybe not in, in spite of those skills, but that you were able, it sounds like to develop those skills pretty quickly is, I guess, did you see or have you seen other major shifts in the relationship between you two as, as you've gone through this? I mean, you had a, 20 20 ish years of baseline model that that you can kind of look back on have there been some some pretty heavy shifts oh for sure i mean i think we communicate about everything better um it's one of probably the most common things people say about non-monogamy is like you just you're able to talk to one another once you've admitted like i want to fuck other people then the biggest secret is out yeah (laughs) yeah so we were we were able to start talking about kinks that we hadn't shared. We were able to start talking about more pain that we'd experienced. And yeah, it just, it freed up a lot of things to let us talk better. It also, through our other relationships, made us learn a lot about sort of the other side of relationships. Mm-hmm. And so you know, you, you learned from Iris and, and Dawn about like invisible femme labor, which was never something that I could articulate to you or something that you could see. But once you saw it through their eyes, you brought that back to our relationship and it changed the, the way our dynamic was in a lot of the like household tasks and running, just running our lives. Yeah. There's, um, I, I, I feel like, I feel like I've been a better, a better feminist through, throughout this whole process for sure. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think, I think certainly part of it is kind of being aware of what's on the line, right? Like, you know, being in an open relationship means that, you know, we are, we are taking some risks with, with our relationship. And so, um, having that awareness has, has, um, has made me realize, you know, some of the kind of, you know, kind of shitty, you know, unconscious misogyny that, that I injected into our relationship all along. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, just, yeah, like just having more awareness of, of what I what I was bringing to the relationship. You mentioned a term a minute ago, in, invisible femme labor. For for people who aren't familiar with that, possibly ourselves. Do you mind? <laughs> do you mind? I know what just... it is, but could you share for our listeners? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's basically all the things that typically the woman or or the femme in the relationship does to keep things running like keeping track of the groceries if you happen to have kids knowing the schedule and who's at soccer and who's at ballet and what happens there and are we out of toilet paper and is it your mom's birthday and like all of that stuff plus you know the little cooking and cleaning and and the litter box and and stuff that 
it just sort of magically happens a certain amount of the time. Mm-hmm. Because as women, you know, or if we were raised as women, we were socialized that that this is the stuff you do. Right. And most guys are socialized that this is shit they don't have to think about because it magically happened. Well, and, and a, a lot of male socialized uh, people, they're uh, coming into relationships. Their their defense is always, you know, I will do whatever whatever you want me to do. I will do my fair share. Just just ask and tell me what needs doing. And the reality is that the whole process of uh, thinking about what needs doing and then initiating that conversation with your partner and then um, you know it, that's that is labor. That's that's management. And that mm-hmm. you know and and it's so it it is a really typical thing for men of my generation to just kind of allow their partner to over time accumulate the majority of the domestic labor because you know, it just, it just ends up sliding that way because we allow them to, to do the the management and, you know, and, and sort of it early in this process, I remember having this conversation with a friend of mine and about sort of, you know, the, 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 uh, the shittiness of it and, you know, and, and kind of, uh, like nobody likes to do that shit. And so it's, it's an easy thing to just let somebody take over that stuff. Yeah. But, um, but you know, I've, I've been committed to, to not, to not being that way anymore to, to, uh, you know, and, and one of the kind of hacks that, that I do is it's like, when I think of something, I do it. And so sometimes it means that I do the thing where, I, I half start four different things because I've kind of wandered around the house doing that first thing. And so I got to kind of backtrack finishing those tasks. It's not super efficient, but you know, if, if I think, okay, I'll do that later, I will, I later is never, I, I will never do that thing. If, if I'm always going to do that later on. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes total sense. I think, I think to finding that line between, I guess maybe in, in for my own, in my own world, there's certain things that are important to one person in the relationship that aren't important to the other. And I think that maybe is sort of a different, um, like, taking it to a different level. I can but, give you a good example. Putting the toilet paper roll on the toilet paper handle right. thing. Why some people don't care about that, others do. <laughs> And I don't, and I don't think it's me letting you do the work. It's I don't care if it ever got. On. I could remove the toilet paper spinner thing, and it wouldn't matter to me. <laughs> this is not our interview. Outtakes. Outtakes. Through some of this, figured out like that tiny little thing that you don't give a shit about, but your partner gives a shit about, just makes their life better enough yeah. that it's worth doing. Exactly. And I think that's the point is even if it's something that it's not important to me, knowing that it's important to her and then being willing to do that thing, not because I need it done, but because I know she wants it done. That's the reason to do it. Yeah. 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 I think I just got to remove the thing and then it won't be possible. (laughs) (laughs) No more toilet paper, bidets only. Yeah. (laughs) Only. <laughs> I like that. Just put it on the damn roll. I go through so many of my friends' houses putting toilet paper on the roll. I know. <laughs> well, you're probably not going to want to come over to our house. Uh, <laughs> no, she'll be fine. I'm there. <laughs> uh, 
So one one thing you did touch on earlier is uh, in the title of your book, the the word anxious and probably relating to anxiety. And you mentioned it being um, a mental illness that you're struggling with. I guess if you don't mind talking about, I think there's probably people out there who look at non-monogamy in general and say, well, I could never do it because I'm this or I'm that, whether it's um, too old, too young, too big, too small, whatever their excuses, I guess, do you mind talking about it from your perspective in terms of how you've navigated it and, and what it looks like for you? For sure. Um, it's definitely been a real challenge. Non-monogamy is stressful. You know, there's just, there's no doubt about it. It's stressful. And a lot of that stress is really good stress, you know, going to sexy parties, you know, having new experiences, um, you know, there's, there's so much good stress in it, but that is also stress. And there is also the, the stress that goes along with like new people and, and new relationships and, you know, your messaging with this person and did they get you back and, and, oh, I can see the dots, but now they've stopped. And, you know, all of that kind of stuff that has, it's definitely ramped up my anxiety over the past few years. And sure. so, you know, that has been, that's been a real challenge. And I, I have really had to like do a lot of work to realize when I'm being you know, reasonable, <laughs> um, like when it's just like, okay, this is a thing that it's legitimate to be upset about or worried about. And this is, you know, a thing that is just my anxiety out of control. And I need to do some cognitive behavioral therapy exercises or like just talk myself through it to, you know, get out of that spiral. Right. And, you know, it has definitely been a real challenge and, I think because the anxiety piece has been wrapped, ramped up so much, it also, the depression piece that had never usually been a huge deal for me, I think because I was like, I was a little off balance a lot of the time that allowed the depression piece to come in more. And over the past few years, I had been really quite depressed and, and hadn't even realized it until we got back from desire last year and I was able to reevaluate like my feelings from the whole trip and from quite a while back of like, Oh yeah, no, I'm actually super depressed. And then getting on medication and looking at things differently and getting some therapy and, and just working through in a way that, that allowed me to deal with everything better. Right. right. Yeah, I've I've, uh, I've I've struggled with uh, with depression lifelong, and uh, you know, and, and in fact, um, a few years before we opened our relationship, I had a, a pretty extended what what I I see in hindsight was a pretty extended major uh, depressive disorder episode that uh, that lasted close to a year, and 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 what I've um, what I've come to notice is that there is actually a, a fair amount of mental illness in non-monogamy. Yeah. Uh, and I think what it is, is there's a lot of people who, 
you know, who are, who are questioning and looking at things. And, and so I think that, I think that that can lend itself to non-monogamy. It's the same reason there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of geeks and nerds in non-monogamy because they're, they're already kind of, you know, off of the kind of the, the main track of the status quo. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, so I, I, I do feel like there is a higher instance of, uh, of typical, uh, mental illness in non-monogamy and, uh, and we just don't necessarily see that a lot of, a lot of what's more modeled for us in the literature and, and podcasts is very idealized. It's very happy. It's very much about the party, about the sex and about the, the fun and the is sort of the infinite love. Uh, and, and we don't always see, some of the the deep deep challenges that come with uh, with non-monogamy and and with um, with struggling with your own mental illness and trying to support partners with uh, with with mental illness as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Have you found that the skills that you've developed after opening your your relationship up have have helped you both of you be able to either support each other better or, or handle your own internal conversations better or have, or has non-monogamy magnified those issues? I think sort of both. both. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Because I think, you know, we're communicating better and we're owning our shit in, in a way that like, I'm able to be like, I know this is my issue but I'm feeling this. So it might be, you know, him staying overnight at his girlfriend's, you know, twice in a week. And I'm having the feels about that, you know, but I understand Mm -hmm. that they're not doing anything wrong. And in fact, I'm happy for them to have extra time together because they don't get a huge amount. And so I'm having like that feeling and, but just owning that, like, this is my own pain about this. And, but they're not doing anything wrong, but it also is amplifying the pain and the loneliness and, you know, that kind of back and forth thing that, that happens. So I think really it's, it's both. I think we also have developed a lot of language about uh, making it safe for the other person to be irrational if they're, if they're suffering in their mental illness in particular. So uh, it, when we when we sense that the other person, you know, maybe has something unreasonable that they want to talk about, you know, prompting that and make, making that safe to, to share that kind of thing. Whereas I think in the past we would we would suffer alone through a lot of that thing. I think that we've gotten we've gotten better at at sharing those burdens together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's that's nice. I mean, and it's it's probably helpful to have a partner who's who can relate to maybe some of those issues, so yeah. you you don't feel maybe as alone in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know having come at come at this from you know such a long term you know stable anchored relationship has is freed up a lot of when we do have issues, it's not like, Oh my God, my relationship could be over. Like we, we don't 
generally have any of those kinds of feelings. It's like, oh, we're having this fight and we need to work it out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and sometimes there will still be deep fears about it, but yeah. the, but the depth of those fears, you know, has a, has a, has a limit. It, you know, we, we don't fear about the whole world coming crashing down, but I, I think that, that there, there's still some of those, I mean, a, a lot of mental illness is about fear, both depression and anxiety. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, there is sometimes that fear Oh, I could wreck this. I could, you know, this this could uh, this could impugn other relationships that are really important to me. This could kind of, you know, fuck up the, you know, the, sort of the plan and life that we built together. But I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that. I, I think that having that that faith that you know our relationship is going to endure regardless really really helps. Right, for sure. Yeah, I think it's a really important topic to bring up too. Like, because you like you said, most of the uh, general things you hear about uh, non-monogamy in general are all happy and exciting, and that's amazing. That's a really good part of it, but there's another part that may is not necessarily as fun and 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 needs to work through things, and um, it's a lot more common than I think people tend to hear about. Well, absolutely, oh, yeah. and you know, well, here's here's just an example. Whenever you you talk to people about their trips to Desire, usually what you'll hear about it's so amazing. There's so many great people. It's a wonderful experience. Some people describe it as this is my favorite place in the world. It's my favorite week of the year. Um, but usually, what those people won't tell you, it, it they won't talk about the midweek crash when you're yeah. burnt out and you need time to yourself. They won't, they won't talk about some of the, the challenging feelings that, that, uh, that might come up there, you know? And so all of the thing, the great things that they said about desire are, are true for them, but you know, it's also a, it's also a slice of what's going on. And, you know, and the, the, the big picture, uh, is, is hiding some of the, some of the trickier stuff and, and, and to, to Kat's credit, I think what really speaks to people about Kat's writing is the vulnerability that they show in that writing. The um, the the kind of the the honesty that they that they reveal. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I was going to say the most common uh, comment I get about my writing, about blog posts or the book, or even about our podcast, is people saying, "I thought I was the only one." Mm-hmm. and yep. just saying like thank you i thought i was the only one yeah. and it just yeah it just frees people up to admit to the stuff that's that it's challenging and vulnerable and scary and feeling less alone in those feelings it just it yeah you just feel safer you feel connected in a way and you don't feel like such a freak mm-hmm. right yeah sure yeah you feel yeah. you feel known yeah right right no exactly uh yeah, I think I think maybe you know, we we talked a lot about desire because we we had some amazing experiences there, and it it was one of the things that really helped. I don't want to say glue us back together, but it it it, it was a really a, a shot of energy in our relationship when we needed it. And you know, the thing I think that that we all, the advice we always give to people when they're gonna when they're talking about going for the first time is make sure to take time for yourselves and time for yourselves as a couple and time for yourself as a, as an individual throughout the week to just, you don't have to constantly be a part of every little thing that's happening and don't be afraid to go take a nap 
and yeah. you know let let your partner sit in the hot tub by themselves with other people and go take a nap. I mean that's that's a completely okay thing to do. And I know you know some some people are extreme extroverts and they they feed off of the energy and for them it's no problem. But for for other people they're introverted or maybe not quite as outgoing. It's a lot. Uh, a lot of social energy. Yeah. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. definitely taxing. It's a lot of social energy and you know and and it is it is really tough to take a break because the FOMO will just exactly. eat you up so <laughs> hard but it's it's like you know you you can't you can't fuck everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that is well, uh, I, that's true. And I think you know one of the most interesting things you know I think desire is a great way to highlight this about what is one of often most challenging things in non in non monogamy, and you know, especially as we move toward polyamory, is the thing that I've gotten jealous about is not my partner fucking other people. It's glimpses of intimacy in other situations. Mm-hmm. So, desire it hit me so hard the first year we were there, seeing him kissing people in the buffet line. Yeah. Yeah, so, so places it, you're not expecting to see it, and you see yeah. it. Like if you if you're in an orgy, you kind of expect to see it. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and you you have you've established the the level of intimacy it's going to be. So seeing them kissing a person, that's a really reasonable thing that's going on, and and it doesn't ping for you. And in fact, you're probably like, yeah. <laughs> um, but seeing him kissing someone and just like the focus and attention like in that buffet line and the way that you know he's touching her head and looking at her oh like it, it just hit me in this way that that really threw my world into a bit of a spin for a bit sure. and and that has happened a few times in you know the the non-monogamy you know journey um that we have done is you know hearing him with inside jokes with people or pet names or like things like that that is like i it it immediately others you like you're suddenly outside and and it even though you know this person you know they're they have this relationship that they're building together you know you're like oh yeah yeah this is happening but those little glimpses of those intimacies are the things that, that have always been the most freaky to me. Like that's the most threatening and, and that I've had the most angst about. Well, especially if he's supposed to be getting you another piece of cake and he's up there. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? That would would cross a line for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I, Completely, completely can understand that that would be, that would catch you off guard. Oh yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's something that people don't think about if, um, you know, yeah, that they may be in that situation until they, uh, are actually have happen. Yeah. If, yeah. if, if you're really used to your, uh, your lives being very compartmentalized between those things, it's, it can be a big shock. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to ask, Kat, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times that you have a blog and the book and everything. How did that evolve for you? Have you always been um, writing and uh, interested in that? Or has that been a newer passion over the last couple of years? Um, I think I've always written on and off. Um, back in the 
early, early days of the internet, um, before they were even called blogs, um, we, I did some writing. I had a, a website that I would write like rants on and, and that sort of thing. Um, so I've always done a certain amount of writing and I, a few years before we became non-monogamous, I did a lot of writing of slash fiction. Okay. Um, so I wrote a lot of like, of, uh, fan fiction porn and, <laughs> um, so that was really fun. And it, yeah, when we started, when we started exploring non-monogamy, I was just writing, I think just to keep myself kind of sane, um, because I tend to process that way. Yeah. So I work my way through stuff by writing it down. And so I, I was really pleased and, and surprised when I went back and, and started compiling everything for the book was that I had started writing immediately that like I wrote about our first threesome. I wrote about our first swinging experience. You know, I had like all of this stuff down and I was often reading it and going, we did that. <laughs> like, like, is that how we did it? Really? Um, and so it was really cool to see the evolution of our relationship and how we approached things through that writing. And so I was really glad that I had that like documentation of it. And so most of that was just kind of casually like, you know, on a like blog spot account kind of thing. And then, um, had been talking to Cooper about it and asking him like what sort of blogging sites were the best and, and that sort of thing. And him suggesting that I submit some writing to their editor to check out and see if it might be a, a fit for life on the swing set. And, you know, she ended up really liking my work. And, and so it gave me a, a wider platform to, to, you know, have my, have my writing out there. And, and then as we gradually ended up getting our own website and, and doing work there. So yeah, it, it, it's been with us like the entire time. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. Was I was curious, was there things that either or both of you have discovered throughout this process that you didn't know you were into? Uh, oh, my beginning? God. <laughs> All the things. Yeah. I, well, I, I often paraphrase, uh, you know, Archer, you know, do you want fetishes? Because that's how you get fetishes. You know, it's 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 amazing. Uh, you know, I, I, I was actually pretty sexually repressed most of my life. And so this, this whole process, this whole journey, uh, has, 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 uh, you know, unlocked a lot of that. And, um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy actually. All, all the, all, all the stuff that, uh, I assumed I was never into, um, yeah. And I think with my sexuality, I'd always, like, once I heard the phrase, like, heteroromantic bisexual, I was like, oh, yeah, that's me. Like, I, I fall in love with guys, but I'm really attracted to everyone of every gender. Mm -hmm. And then we had a girlfriend. <laughs> and suddenly I was, you know, in I was in love with a woman. And, okay, well, maybe I'm also bi-romantic, but this is really confusing. And then when that didn't work out and, um, for, for me, we were a triad for a while and now, um, 
Flick and Iris are together, um, but she and I are, or they and I are, are good friends. I'm like, oh, okay, no, maybe, maybe I was mistaken. I'm, I'm not actually bi romantic, and and now I'm dating this other woman who seems to be sort of my main um, partner at the moment, and I'm like, crap, like I just, come on, sexuality, like figure yourself out and let's be <laughs> consistent. Probably the the kind of widest exploration that's that's opened up for me has been in BDSM and in dominance because that was something that uh, for for all my life I'd kind of been oobed about and and it wasn't until we started kind of you know opening things up that that I really realized that 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 ooginess was internalized shame at you know the 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 uh the attraction that i had to to that um you know and 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 really uh, seeing that it wasn't the kind of you know uh dark and sinister thing that it's often portrayed as or it's it's not always the the kind of um you know, uh, goofy, ridiculous thing that it's also often portrayed as, especially in, in mainstream media with, um, you know, with, uh, male submission, it's always a joke. It's always a punchline, you know? And so seeing that there is a, you know, whole world of, of, uh, DS that, you know, doesn't fall into what we've seen in mainstream media, uh, or even typically in porn, um, really, made me realize that, 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 um, that I, I didn't need to be something that, I, that, that I didn't want to be in order to explore that, that part of my life. So, so you, to clarify, you found yourself identifying more in like submissive roles? No, more dominant. Um, okay. and, okay. and for me, the, the association was always with, uh, with dominance as a form of male violence. And so, uh, you know, just becoming more educated about BDSM and seeing that that's, that's not the case and that, you know, it is, um, you know, it's as, it's as loving and as, you know, as caretaking as, as any other form of sexuality and, uh, you know, and seeing that there were ways for me to, to express that where it didn't have to be like this, you know, this, this dumb asshole, you know, and, uh, you know, and I could, I could express myself through that right awesome yeah and cat i know you mentioned that your sexuality has been something you've been uh just trying to figure out and and i guess experiment with a little bit over the your journey and now you told us at the beginning that you have been using the um, pronouns they and them do you mind just talking telling the listeners a little bit about uh, why you decided to do that and for anybody that might be interested um, or feel similarly? Yeah, it's, it's, it was kind of strange. It kind of hit me out of the blue a little bit. Um, and we, we had some friends who identified as non-binary or gender fluid, and I'd, I'd never really gotten it until I got it. And it, I think... Um, I just, it, it stopped feeling, you know, just as 
as accurate to think of myself as a woman. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I definitely have all of the, you know, technical parts to, (laughs) to make that happen, but it, it just started feeling less accurate. And I think I've always, you know, as a kid was like a tomboy and, and a lot of that is really typical. Um, but have always really liked playing with dynamics of, of dressing kind of masculine or wearing a tux to an event that everyone's expecting me to be in a dress and like just messing with those expectations. And at the time I had mostly just thought of, it was kind of about the taboo of it and, and just getting this sort of buzz out of that, of, you know, wearing a packer when I'm going out for dinner and, and like, no one knows that, you know, I've got a cock while I'm walking around and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. I'd always sort of just thought it was maybe the, the taboo buzz of it, but realizing that just sometimes it felt really right to have a cock. And I sort of realized that maybe she wasn't entirely accurate. And it's, it's kind of funny because I look back at, at, you know, having released the book in October and it's all like she, her, and, you know, talking about being a woman. And at the time, like very much identified cis woman. Um, but now I'm really feeling kind of genderqueer and exploring that, you know, is feeling good, although kind of strange. Um, but I think also being in my mid forties, I have less angst about exploring it. And if it's not right, kind of going, yeah, I tried that. Cool. That didn't work. Let's go back or, or whatever sort of the path takes it. I, I feel a lot more comfortable to, to try it out and see if it feels good. Sorry. If it feels good. Um, and if it doesn't, then I don't have the, like, the world is going to end kind of feelings that I probably would have had in my twenties. Um, and these words didn't exist in my twenties, you know, like we, (laughs) you know, the, the evolution of language and, and culture and of sexuality and gender, like this is really so much of it only the past like five years or so that it has really exploded into the, like the zeitgeist and the common, you know, um, experience of people. Yeah. No, thank you. I think that's really interesting. And I um, think it's amazing that you're willing to let yourself explore that. And, and like you said, if it's not right, you're okay with that. You can go back and, uh, but maybe it is right. And maybe it's, it's what you really um, want to move forward with. So mm-hmm. thanks for sharing that. Uh, I guess kind of, um, I don't know what to say. Thanks for sharing that piece of information about yourself. No worries. So one one thing that we've been asking, it's kind of a newer question, <laughs> I love that not, not to be jumping all over the place, but as as you probably have experienced, there are some comical moments within the realm of either swinging or group situations or even just on your own with partners. Do you mind sharing each each of you like a, a blooper, like your one of your favorite bloopers from something that's happened to you or, or because of you or in, that you've seen too. Yeah, sure. Oh boy. <laughs> a blooper. I can't think of or just a funny moment too. Yeah, okay. Well, moment. here's actually, here's, here's a funny story. We were, we were actually, uh, at, uh, at desire, uh, at one of the beds by the hot tub and, uh, we were having a threesome with, with someone and, um, oh God, yes. yeah. And, <laughs> 
Um, and I was, uh, I was fucking the, the, uh, very special guest star. Uh, I was, I was on top of her and inside her and, uh, some friends of ours wandered up and started talking to us. And, and, you know, so, um, you know, they, they'd had a few drinks and (laughs) they were kind of ham. And, and, and so they're, they're talking to us, uh, kind of not even really cluing into the fact that we were I'm actually in the middle of somebody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was like lying next to them, like with my hand jammed inside myself. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so we're, we're, we're looking at them while they're, while they're talking and there's, so they're talking. Um, and, and finally I just kind of very slowly at first just went back to fucking uh, and, um, and, and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and, and the, and the gal, uh, the gal that walked up is, is like, it's like, Oh, Oh, I guess, guess you're kind of in the middle of something here. And then, <laughs> and then went back to talking to us and, you know, and so we're, we're, and, and so we're still looking at her, but we're also kind of going back to what we were doing while, you know, kind of politely continuing to, to, uh, to acknowledge her, her presence and that she's talking. Um, and then she's like, Oh, but you know, I guess I should let you get back to it. And then just, kind of stood there just kind of watching us for a couple more minutes, just kind of perving on the fact that we were, uh, that we were, uh, that we were fucking in front of her, but, um, uh, you know, uh, and then eventually, uh, you know, wandered on for the rest of their evening. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least, at least they didn't make it awkward. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she was just randomly like telling us stories about being in the disco and about someone getting like, you know, a hat that they won for the dance contest <laughs> and like just just completely random. Just stories. random, random stories about what would have been going on all night. Yeah, like totally disregarding the fact that you guys are in the middle of something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. I'm going to use that move this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. If, not even if, not uh, even drunk. I'm just gonna do it to people. But um, just you know, kind of a funny sex moment of of having people here visiting from out of town, and me coming down with about a vertigo, uh, and it's brought on by movement, and yep. I. But, you know, these people were only here for a couple days and, you know, this, this person I'm like in love with and lives far away and we only have this time and, and, and Flick and, and Iris, you know, took the, the gal of the couple like off on an adventure. So, uh, the guy and I can have time to ourselves, but you know, I'm so fucking dizzy and we were having sex and he's lying on top of me and I'm like holding onto the bed for dear life, feeling like I'm going to fall off the earth. <laughs> oh my God. And you know, he weighed me by a good hundred pounds or more. And he's just like, I don't think you're going anywhere. <laughs> but I, yeah, no, that's, that's wild. Had to hold on the entire time. And yeah. I mean, for anyone who hasn't experienced vertigo. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was saying, can't let go, flying off into space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for, for anyone who hasn't experienced that, it's a messed up feeling because actually just a few... Months ago. Month, like a month ago, I had it for like two days. Yeah. And we were laying in bed, and I like went to roll over, and I literally felt the bed 
flip upside down. Yeah, you like grabbed and onto I, me for dear yeah, life. Yeah, I grabbed onto her and I thought we were going to fall in. I, I, it was the most bizarre feeling I've ever felt in my life. So, yeah, we didn't have oh, a lot yeah, of you're... sex that day. No. Yeah, your animal brain doesn't know that you're you're not upside down. It like it's it's just gonna grab on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, you think it like it feels like you're gonna fall off the earth. It is really a crazy sensation. But you know, damn it, I was gonna have that sex, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I did, and it was weird and confusing. <laughs> but we had it. We're gonna have the sex if I need to hold on and cry all night. (laughs) Uh, Determination. (laughs) Perfect. Well, maybe before we let you go, do you mind telling people a little bit about what your podcast is about and and what the book, maybe Mm -hmm. just roughly what the book is about, and then we'll let you guys get on with your wet coast evening. So the podcast is uh, is about uh, sex and relationships and about non-monogamy of every variety. So we try to just kind of cover, um, you know, all of, um, you know, our own experiences, but also, you know, uh, kind of conceptually, you know, um, ideas and mm-hmm. theories and uh, about about non-monogamy and sex. Um some of our episodes have been about um, about you know different elements of relationships, and we did an episode about uh, about anal sex and uh, you know um, group sex, throwing parties, you know all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we don't you know we don't only tell the good stuff. Yes. we you know we talk about all the times that we have messed everything up, and so I think being really revealing of ourselves and and that it's not always shiny, happy, and fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, um, but yeah, that's, that's, yeah, I think uh, if, if we were people who made mistakes, we would share those as well. Oh. But, <laughs> <don't> we? <laughs> we never do. <laughs> so, anyway, definitely the, our fair share. <laughs> the, so, the book sounds, you said it was a memoir, and it sounds like you kind of went back and pulled a lot of true, true stories from your experiences. I yeah, guess that's what sure. a memoir yeah. is. So, <laughs> It's basically <laughs> you have correctly defined memoir. <laughs> I'm on it tonight. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's basically the story of our first three years in non-monogamy, and so it it starts you know from the very beginning and our our first like thoughts about like how we even got there and talking about the origin story and, and then going through, yeah, our first threesome, our first swinging experiences, you know, my first heartbreak and, and just kind of working our way through all of that. There's, there's lots of like heartfelt angst and pain and revelations, but there's a lot of really, really dirty sex. (laughs) Um, So like super dirty, like super dirty. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of, that. there's, there's something for everybody, Um, (laughs) you know, and I, I talk about like discovering that I'm a squirter and then, you know, all of the, uh, very soggy adventures that follow that. And, um, and why can't I stop squirting? Yes. <laughs> I'm so dehydrated. Like, great thing I want to try. And oh my God, I'm like disintegrating like someone at the end of Indiana Jones. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, it, it, it definitely follows like the path and, and like 
meeting Iris and falling in love and then discovering all the stuff that wasn't working and, and, you know, going through breakups and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of like really deep emotional stuff and a lot of vulnerability, but yeah, there's also a lot of dirty, dirty sex. So (laughs) very cool. And what is the name of it? Just so that listeners know. Yeah. It's called yelling in pasties, the wet coast confessions of an anxious slut. Perfect. And you can get it on Amazon, um, ebook, paperback, all the good stuff. Yeah, the the podcast is at onthewetcoast.com, and uh, you can uh, you can also find links to buying the book on your favorite yeah. platform there. Yeah, cool. Perfect. Well, yeah. we'll put links to all of it in our show notes for anybody who wants to to go hunt it all up. Yeah. And unless there's anything else you want to make sure, well, are you and are you still writing your blog too? Um, I am. It's a lot less frequent. More uh-huh. recently, I think I was I was focused on getting the book out, and then I ended up writing a novel in April, oh, wow. <laughs> um, and and also you know went through a, a pretty severe depressive episode that even had suicidal ideations, and and so went through a pretty scary time. So my my creativity was a little limited, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm I'm getting back into it. And it, it's, um, I've, I've also recently had a breakup and it's kind of the thing I want to write about, but because the other person is also on the internet, I can't really. And so uh-huh. sort of every time I'm trying to like get into something, I'm like, ah, I can't actually say this stuff. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to write some fun articles about like learning to fist someone and stuff like that to, uh, even though I want to do the angsty stuff. Yeah. What you should do is actually write the angsty stuff and then just send it out to select people. So it's, like, <laughs> it's like bespoke blogging. and uh... <laughs> Cool. Perfect. Well, yeah, unless there's anything else you really want to make sure you say on our show, I can let you guys get on with your evening. Yeah. Well, it looks like we're going to be at Sex Down South. So if anybody wants to uh, come up and say hi and uh, has any questions for us or wants to talk about uh, the podcast or uh, talk about uh, dirty, dirty sex things, um, you can uh, find us there. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Mm-hmm. And approach perfect. us because we're shy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds yeah, good. If it, if it looks like I'm standoffish, it's probably just because I'm terrified. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> we're the... We're the same. We're very similar. So, yeah, yeah. We, we know well, what thanks, you're going Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank oh, you. Oh, absolutely. Thank, thank you for coming on. And uh, we'll let you have a great evening. Yeah, thanks so much. We're back. And thanks again to Kat and Flick. I think that we had a, you know, it was a really interesting discussion. We talked with them about some things like mental health that we hadn't really covered in this podcast before. So we were really happy to have them on and have them bring up some topics that are sometimes difficult to talk about. Yeah. And we even learned some new terms and uh, I have to go do some home improvement and remove all the toilet paper roll things in our apartment. (laughs) No. So. Anyway, next week we've got another amazing interview, just like last week and just like the week before that, with John and Cindy, a really cool couple who reached out to us on our website, actually on Twitter, and um, I don't know, they just have a super awesome energy, not that everyone else doesn't, but they had a super awesome energy and we're excited to be having their interview in one week. 
Yeah, I think that's it. You can find us on our website at normalizingnonmonogamy.com or on Twitter or Cassidy under the screen name NNM Podcast. And please reach out. We'd love to hear from anybody. Did you introduce ourselves at the beginning? I did. Okay, then we don't. But I did forget the website at the intro. Well, you just told them now. I know. It's all good. Alrighty, see everybody in a week. (laughs) Bye.